Section two of Eureka, a prose poem by Edgar Allan Poe. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Let us begin then at once with that merest of words, infinity. This, like God, Spirit, and some other expressions of which the equivalents exist in all languages, is by no means the expression of an idea, but of an effort at one. It stands for the possible attempt at an impossible conception. Man needed a term by which to point out the direction of his effort, the cloud behind which lay, forever invisible, the object of this attempt. A word, in fine, was demanded, by means of which one human being might put himself in relation at once with another human being, and with a certain tendency of the human intellect. Out of this demand arose the word infinity, which is thus the representative but of the thought of a thought. As regards that infinity now considered, the infinity of space, we often hear it said that its idea is admitted by the mind, is acquiesced in, is entertained, on account of the greater difficulty which attends the conception of a limit. But this is merely one of those phrases by which even profound thinkers, time out of mind, have occasionally taken pleasure in deceiving themselves. The quibble lies concealed in the word difficulty. The mind, we are told, entertains the idea of limitless, through the greater difficulty which it finds in entertaining that of limited space. Now, were the proposition but fairly put, its absurdity would become transparent at once. Clearly, there is no mere difficulty in the case. The assertion intended, if presented according to its intention and without sophistry, would run thus. The mind admits the idea of limitless through the greater impossibility of entertaining that of limited space. It must be immediately seen that this is not a question of two statements between whose respective credibilities, or of two arguments between whose respective validities, the reason is called upon to decide. It is a matter of two conceptions, directly conflicting, and each avowedly impossible, one of which the intellect is supposed to be capable of entertaining, on account of the greater impossibility of entertaining the other. The choice is not made between two difficulties. It is merely fancied to be made between two impossibilities. Now, of the former, there are degrees, but of the latter, none. Just as our impertinent letter-writer has already suggested, a task may be more or less difficult, but it is either possible or not possible. There are no gradations. It might be more difficult to overthrow the Andes than an anthill, but it can be no more impossible to annihilate the matter of the one than the matter of the other. A man may jump ten feet with less difficulty than he can jump twenty, but the impossibility of his leaping to the moon is not a whit less than that of his leaping to the dog-star. Since all this is undeniable, since the choice of the mind is to be made between impossibilities of conception, since one impossibility cannot be greater than another, and since thus one cannot be preferred to another, 
the philosophers who not only maintain on the grounds mentioned man's idea of infinity but on account of such supposititious idea infinity itself are plainly engaged in demonstrating one impossible thing to be possible by showing how it is that some one other thing is impossible too this it will be said is nonsense and perhaps it is indeed i think it very capital nonsense but forgo all claim to it as nonsense of mine the readiest mode however of displaying the fallacy of the philosophical argument on this question is by simply adverting to a fact respecting it which has been hitherto quite overlooked the fact that the argument alluded to both proves and disproves its own proposition the mind is impelled say the theologians and others to admit a first cause by the superior difficulty it experiences in conceiving cause beyond cause without end the quibble as before lies in the word difficulty but here what is it employed to sustain a first cause and what is a first cause an ultimate termination of causes and what is an ultimate termination of causes finity the finite thus the one quibble in two processes by god knows how many philosophers is made to support now finity and now infinity could it not be brought to support something besides as for the quibblers they at least are insupportable but to dismiss them what they prove in the one case is the identical nothing which they demonstrate in the other of course no one will suppose that i here contend for the absolute impossibility of that which we attempt to convey in the word infinity my purpose is but to show the folly of endeavouring to prove infinity itself or even our conception of it by any such blundering ratiocination as that which is ordinarily employed nevertheless as an individual i may be permitted to say that i cannot conceive infinity and am convinced that no human being can am i not thoroughly self-conscious not accustomed to the introspective analysis of its own operations will it is true often deceive itself by supposing that it has entertained the conception of which we speak in the effort to entertain it we proceed step beyond step we fancy point still beyond point and so long as we continue the effort it may be said in fact that we are tending to the formation of the idea designed while the strength of the impression that we actually form or have formed it is in the ratio of the period during which we keep up the mental endeavor but it is in the act of discontinuing the endeavor of fulfilling as we think the idea of putting the finishing stroke as we suppose to the conception that we overthrow at once the whole fabric of our fancy by resting upon some one ultimate and therefore definite point this fact however we fail to perceive on account of the absolute coincidence in time between the settling down upon the ultimate point and the act of cessation in thinking in attempting on the other hand to frame the idea of a limited space 
we merely converse the processes which involve the impossibility we believe in a god we may or may not believe in finite or infinite space but our belief in such cases is more properly designated as faith and is a matter quite distinct from that belief proper from that intellectual belief which presupposes the mental conception the fact is that upon the enunciation of any one of the class of terms to which infinity belongs the class representing thoughts of thought he who has a right to say that he thinks at all feels himself called upon not to entertain a conception but simply to direct his mental vision toward some given point in the intellectual firmament where lies a nebula never to be resolved to solve it indeed he makes no effort for with a rapid instinct he comprehends not only the impossibility but as regards all human purposes the inessentiality of its solution he perceives that the deity has not designed it to be solved he sees at once that it lies out of the brain of man and even how if not exactly why it lies out of it there are people i am aware who busying themselves in attempts at the unattainable acquire very easily by dint of the jargon they emit among those thinkers that they think with whom darkness and depth are synonymous a kind of cuttlefish reputation for profundity but the finest quality of thought is its self-cognizance and with some little equivocation it may be said that no fog of the mind can well be greater than that which extending to the very boundaries of the mental domain shuts out even the boundaries themselves from comprehension it will now be understood that in using the phrase infinity of space i make no call upon the reader to entertain the impossible conception of an absolute infinity i refer simply to the utmost conceivable expanse of space a shadowy and fluctuating domain now shrinking now swelling in accordance with the vacillating energies of the imagination hitherto the universe of stars has always been considered as coincident with the universe proper as i have defined it in the commencement of this discourse it has been always either directly or indirectly assumed at least since the dawn of intelligible astronomy that were it possible for us to attain any given point in space we should still find on all sides of us an interminable succession of stars this was the untenable idea of pascal when making perhaps the most successful attempt ever made at paraphrasing the conception for which we struggle in the word universe it is a sphere he says of which the centre is everywhere the circumference nowhere but although this intended definition is in fact no definition of the universe of stars we may accept it with some mental reservation as a definition rigorous enough for all practical purposes of the universe proper that is to say of the universe of space this latter then let us regard as a sphere of which the centre is everywhere the circumference nowhere in fact while we find it impossible to fancy an end to space 
we have no difficulty in picturing to ourselves any one of an infinity of beginnings as our starting point then let us adopt the godhead of this godhead in itself he alone is not imbecile he alone is not impious who propounds nothing nous ne connaissons rien says the baron de Bielfeld. nous ne connaissons rien de la nature ou de la sens de dieu pour savoir ce qu'il est il faut être dieu même we know absolutely nothing of the nature or essence of god in order to comprehend what he is we should have to be god ourselves we should have to be god ourselves with a phrase so startling as this yet ringing in my ears i nevertheless venture to demand if this our present ignorance of the deity is an ignorance to which the soul is everlastingly condemned by him however now at least the incomprehensible by him assuming him as spirit that is to say as not matter a distinction which for all intelligible purposes will stand well instead of a definition by him then existing as spirit let us content ourselves to-night with supposing to have been created or made out of nothing by dint of his volition at some point of space which we shall take as a centre at some period into which we do not pretend to inquire but at all events immensely remote by him then again let us suppose to have been created what this is a vitally momentous epoch in our considerations what is it that we are justified that alone we are justified in supposing to have been primarily and solely created we have attained a point where only intuition can aid us but now let me recur to the idea which i have already suggested as that alone which we can properly entertain of intuition it is but the conviction arising from those inductions or deductions of which the processes are so shadowy as to escape our consciousness elude our reason or defy our capacity of expression with this understanding i now assert that an intuition altogether irresistible although inexpressible forces me to the conclusion that what god originally created that that matter which by dint of his volition he first made from his spirit or from nihility could have been nothing but matter in its utmost conceivable state of what of simplicity this will be found the sole absolute assumption of my discourse i use the word assumption in its ordinary sense yet i maintain that even this my primary proposition is very very far indeed from being really a mere assumption nothing was ever more certainly no human conclusion was ever in fact more regularly more rigorously deduced but alas the processes lie out of the human analysis at all events are beyond the utterance of the human tongue let us now endeavor to conceive what matter must be when or if in its absolute extreme of simplicity 
here the reason flies at once to imparticularity to a particle to one particle a particle of one kind of one character of one nature of one size of one form a particle therefore without form and void a particle positively a particle at all points a particle absolutely unique individual undivided and not indivisible only because he who created it by dint of his will can by an infinitely less energetic exercise of the same will as a matter of course divide it oneness then is all that i predicate of the originally created matter but i propose to show that this oneness is a principle abundantly sufficient to account for the constitution the existing phenomena and the plainly inevitable annihilation of at least the material universe the willing into being the primordial particle has completed the act or more properly the conception of creation we now proceed to the ultimate purpose for which we are to suppose the particle created that is to say the ultimate purpose so far as our considerations yet enable us to see it the constitution of the universe from it the particle this constitution has been effected by forcing the originally and therefore normally one into the abnormal condition of many an action of this character implies reaction a diffusion from unity under the conditions involves a tendency to return into unity a tendency ineradicable until satisfied but on these points i will speak more fully hereafter the assumption of absolute unity in the primordial particle includes that of infinite divisibility let us conceive the particle then to be only not totally exhausted by diffusion into space from the one particle as a center let us suppose to be irradiated spherically in all directions to immeasurable but still to definite distances in the previously vacant space a certain inexpressibly great yet limited number of unimaginably yet not infinitely minute atoms now of these atoms thus diffused or upon diffusion what conditions are we permitted not to assume but to infer from consideration as well of their source as of the character of the design apparent in their diffusion unity being their source and difference from unity the character of the design manifested in their diffusion we are warranted in supposing this character to be at least generally preserved throughout the design and to form a portion of the design itself that is to say we shall be warranted in conceiving continual differences at all points from the uniquely and simplicity of the origin but for these reasons shall we be justified in imagining the atoms heterogeneous dissimilar unequal and inequidistant more explicitly are we to consider no two atoms as at their diffusion of the same nature or of the same form or of the same size and after fulfillment of their diffusion into space is absolute inequidistance each from each to be understood of all of them in such arrangement under such conditions 
we most easily and immediately comprehend the subsequent most feasible carrying out to completion of any such design as that which i have suggested the design of variety out of unity diversity out of sameness heterogeneity out of homogeneity complexity out of simplicity in a word the utmost possible multiplicity of relation out of the emphatically irrelative one undoubtedly therefore we should be warranted in assuming all that has been mentioned but for the reflection first that supererogation is not presumable of any divine act and secondly that the object supposed in view appears as feasible when some of the conditions in question are dispensed with in the beginning as when all are understood immediately to exist i mean to say that some are involved in the rest or so instantaneous a consequence of them as to make the distinction inappreciable difference of size for example will at once be brought about through the tendency of one atom to a second in preference to a third on account of particular inequidistance which is to be comprehended as particular inequidistances between centers of quantity in neighboring atoms of different form a matter not at all interfering with the generally equable distribution of the atoms difference of kind too is easily conceived to be merely result of differences in size and form taken more or less conjointly in fact since the unity of the particle proper implies absolute homogeneity we cannot imagine the atoms at their diffusion differing in kind without imagining at the same time a special exercise of the divine will at the emission of each atom for the purpose of effecting in each a change of its essential nature so fantastic an idea is the less to be indulged as the object proposed is seen to be thoroughly attainable without such minute and elaborate interposition we perceive therefore upon the whole that it would be supererogatory and consequently unphilosophical to predicate of the atoms in view of their purposes anything more than difference of form at their dispersion with particular inequidistance after it all other differences arising at once out of these in the very first processes of mass constitution we thus establish the universe on a purely geometrical basis of course it is by no means necessary to assume absolute difference even of form among all the atoms irradiated any more than absolute particular inequidistance of each from each we are required to conceive merely that no neighboring atoms are of similar form no atoms which can ever approximate until their inevitable reunition at the end although the immediate and perpetual tendency of the disunited atoms to return into their normal unity is implied as i have said in their abnormal diffusion still it is clear that this tendency will be without consequence a tendency and no more until the diffusive energy in ceasing to be exerted shall leave it the tendency free to seek its satisfaction the divine act however being considered as determinate and discontinued on fulfilment of the diffusion we understand at once a reaction in other words a satisfiable tendency of the disunited atoms to return into one 
but the diffusive energy being withdrawn and the reaction having commenced in furtherance of the ultimate design that of the utmost possible relation the design is now in danger of being frustrated in detail by reason of that very tendency to return which is to effect its accomplishment in general multiplicity is the object but there is nothing to prevent proximate atoms from lapsing at once through the now satisfiable tendency before the fulfillment of any ends proposed in multiplicity into absolute oneness among themselves there is nothing to impede the aggregation of various unique masses at various points of space in other words nothing to interfere with the accumulation of various masses each absolutely one for the effectual and thorough completion of the general design we thus see the necessity for a repulsion of limited capacity a separative something which on withdrawal of the diffusive volition shall at the same time allow the approach and forbid the junction of the atoms suffering them infinitely to approximate while denying them positive contact in a word having the power up to a certain epoch of preventing their coalition but no ability to interfere with their coalescence in any respect or degree the repulsion already considered as so peculiarly limited in other regards must be understood let me repeat as having power to prevent absolute coalition only up to a certain epoch unless we are to conceive that the appetite for unity among the atoms is doomed to be satisfied never unless we are to conceive that what had a beginning is to have no end a conception which cannot really be entertained however much we may talk or dream of entertaining it we are forced to conclude that the repulsive influence imagined will finally under pressure of the unitendency collectively applied but never and in no degree until on fulfillment of the divine purposes such collective application shall be naturally made yield to a force which at that ultimate epoch shall be the superior force precisely to the extent required and thus permit the universal subsidence into the inevitable because original and therefore normal one the conditions here to be reconciled are difficult indeed we cannot even comprehend the possibility of their conciliation nevertheless the apparent impossibility is brilliantly suggestive that the repulsive something actually exists we see man neither employs nor knows a force sufficient to bring two atoms into contact this is but the well-established proposition of the impenetrability of matter all experiment proves all philosophy admits it the design of the repulsion the necessity for its existence i have endeavored to show but from all attempt at investigating its nature have religiously abstained this on account of an intuitive conviction that the principle at issue is strictly spiritual lies in a recess impervious to our present understanding lies involved in a consideration of what now in our human state is not to be considered in a consideration of spirit in itself i feel in a word that here the god has interposed and here only because here and here only 
the knot demanded the interposition of the god in fact while the tendency of the diffused atoms to return into unity will be recognized at once as the principle of the newtonian gravity what i have spoken of as a repulsive influence prescribing limits to the immediate satisfaction of the tendency will be understood as that which we have been in the practice of designating now as heat now as magnetism now as electricity displaying our ignorance of its awful character in the vacillation of the phraseology with which we endeavor to circumscribe it calling it merely for the moment electricity we know that all experimental analysis of electricity has given as an ultimate result the principle or seeming principle heterogeneity only where things differ is electricity apparent and it is presumable that they never differ where it is not developed at least if not apparent now this result is in the fullest keeping with that which i have reached unempirically the design of the repulsive influence i have maintained to be that of preventing immediate unity upon the diffused atoms and these atoms are represented as different each from each difference is their character their essentiality just as no difference was the essentiality of their source when we say then that an attempt to bring any two of these atoms together would induce an effort on the part of the repulsive influence to prevent the contact we may as well use the strictly convertible sentence that on attempt to bring together any two differences will result in a development of electricity all existing bodies of course are composed of these atoms in proximate contact and are therefore to be considered as mere assemblages of more or fewer differences and the resistance made by the repulsive spirit in bringing together any two such assemblages would be the ratio of the two sums of the differences in each an expression which when reduced is equivalent to this the amount of electricity developed on the approximation of two bodies is proportional to the difference between the respective sums of the atoms of which the bodies are composed that no two bodies are absolutely alike is a simple corollary from all that has been here said electricity therefore existing always is developed whenever any bodies but manifested only when bodies of appreciable difference are brought into approximation to electricity so for the present continuing to call it we may not be wrong in referring the various physical appearances of light heat and magnetism but far less shall we be liable to err in attributing to this strictly spiritual principle the more important phenomena of vitality consciousness and thought on this topic however i need pause here merely to suggest that these phenomena whether observed generally or in detail seem to proceed at least in the ratio of the heterogeneous end of section two